Hey, this is Chet Spence from Walking in Love Coaching, here to empower you to live life to its fullest. And if you have real life situations you want help with, you should listen to Now What? Real Talk with Nicole, with my good friend, Nicole Goodman. Welcome back to Now What? Real Talk with Nicole. I am your hostess with the most ass, Nicole Jennings Goodman. Um, you know, I believe that being transparent about life struggles and sharing solutions and resources is the only way for us to come together as a community and definitely as a country. Today, we are sitting with Chet Spence. Now, Chet has uh, over 25 plus years in the financial services. But that's not what we're going to be focusing on today. Chet is a personal coach um, with a walking in love coaching. And uh, when I first looked at this one, you know, well, he's a he's a he's a love doc. He's a love coach, but he's financial services. But I've been married. (laughs) I was happily married for a long time. And I understand how those two can definitely tie together. So but before we get into that, if you are uh, if you in a position where you're, you think you need a little bit of help, you're not sure whether coaching is right for you, you uh, may be having some issues and not just relationship or, or finances or, you know, or, or even how that comes together or business or whatever it is that you're dealing with, then you should just sit down, grab a pen and pad and prepare to take notes um, for chat. Uh, we've had several conversations and the, the, you can feel the love coming through the internet. So without further ado, Chat, are you there? I am here. Thank you so much, Nicole, for having me on. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. I'm honored. Welcome, welcome to the show. So um, we're going to get in a little bit about your background, uh, just so people can get to know who you are and how you wound up from financial services to here. Uh, but yeah, so let's let's just start there. Where are you from, Chat? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm a native Michiganian. I've always been here in Michigan. Uh, I, I lived on the west, on the east side of the state for quite some time over by uh, Ann Arbor, Jackson area, mm-hmm. and recently moved to the Grand Rapids area in the last 10 years. Okay. Uh, right I up spent the street. The last... <laughs> What's, pardon? Right up the street from, I'm from Cleveland. Just oh, there you go. From the state up new, from that state up north. <laughs> hey cleveland rocks it's a good place to yes, be yes it does i'm just glad it rocks way over here i'm in hawaii now. anyway okay <laughs> sorry go ahead oh that's okay that's okay so i've spent the last 25 years of my life as a financial advisor mm-hmm. until this until this last year when i finally realized that this is just not for me mm. When I worked over the last 25 years as a financial advisor, I went into the business with the first question asking people as they come to see me being, what are your goals? Uh What is it you're trying to accomplish financially? What do you have to get there and what's holding you back? Uh So that was my mantra for 25 years, helping my clients to achieve their financial goals 
and in the process, building really strong, close relationships with them. Mm -hmm. I probably transferred from one company to another four different times, but in the process, all of my clients transferred with me whenever I did, because it was that relationship. That absolutely says spades. That, that says a lot in spades, especially when you're working with folks' money. They trust you. Mm -hmm. as, yeah. Yes. Yes. But the financial aspect of it was becoming more and more difficult with the regulations and the red tape and doing this and that and the other. It's, it's, it, it became more difficult to do my job in my business. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't really that passionate about money anyway. <laughs> I was more passionate about helping my clients achieve their financial goals. Right. So instead of worrying about the money part, I figured rather than just worrying about your checkbook and rather than just worrying about your net worth, I would rather concentrate on your self-worth. Self-worth. That's a beautiful phrase. People should, and you're listening, whatever it is that you're doing, just write self-worth. I don't care whether you write it on the back of your hand, uh, but just, just write that, write that down. So, um, so just, just a little bit about your upbringing, single parent home, both parents. How was that both family parents. dynamic? Awesome. Oh, it was great. I, I, I grew up in the country. In fact, I just, I, I wrote a blog about this. I have a blog that I write on my website called the blissful blog. Okay. And I shared this last, I shared this last week about growing up in the mid seventies mm -hmm. in the country. I mean, I was completely isolated from everything. And if you remember the seventies, it was pretty, it was pretty hectic time. Mm -hmm. I mean, inflation was through the roof. Um, I was born in 71. So uh, I was probably playing with marbles when my mom was worried about inflation. But mm -hmm. I believe you. I was eight and 71. <laughs> so when I, when I was, when I grew up in the seventies, you know, there was a lot of civil unrest, much like we have today. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of racial violence. There was a lot of, war-torn violence of Vietnam going on. There was a lot of inflation with, with economic issues going on. It was like the perfect storm of everything was an issue. Mm -hmm. Me growing up in the countryside, I was, I, 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 I was, I was protected from all of that. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what was going on, who, where everybody was. What Thought the rest was. of the world was just like your world. Yeah. I had three television stations <laughs> coming yeah, into my three, house. Yep. <laughs> and Walter Cronkite, Walter Cronkite delivered the news every single night about Apollo, about Vietnam, this about, about Walter Kennedy, Cronkite. Wow. All of these things, right? So that was my that was my upbringing. So mm -hmm. I didn't have one racial prejudice of one, one person over another. Everybody was everybody to me. Right. You know, I was listening to music from Flying the Family Stone on the radio. I was listening to music from War on the radio. You know, that was my that was my experience of black culture. Fun, funky music about living together and 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 being peaceful. Mm -hmm. So when you got out into the world and started meeting, you know, more black people, it was like, oh, this is great. What's the issue? And then you learned, right? So, so I, I can imagine what that. Um, transition is, you know, you know, what's interesting. I think about that dynamic. Okay. Um, 
the fact that you were kind of grew up isolated from, you know, physical people, but you had that input that life is love and black and white and everyone's having fun and it doesn't matter. Um, and then, you know, coming out into the world, getting cracked in the forehead, like, what is the problem? What is the issue? Uh, before our interview, you and I were speaking just a few minutes about the uh, civil unrest and stuff in the black community. And I let you in on a little secret. Uh, yeah, be, I, I am a huge advocate, of course, of the black community. I have a, a nonprofit organization that supports the black community. Follow Black Dollars um, is the social networking site for black people that I founded. And um, my you know, podcast, everyone that I've interviewed has been black. You're my first white guy. <laughs> <laughs> And when I, I actually, so I know, I know, like I was a virgin on podcast before you. Um, so when we first met and I talked about promoting, I, had, I thought about that. I'm like, uh, there was almost a mild amount of in intimidation because there is such a cultural difference, face value. But then you get to know someone and you, you, you forget all about that. Um, because you know we, we were talking about you being in the financial services for so long, and uh, people you know that will do money with people that they know, like, and trust, uh, do work with uh, business with who they know, like, and trust, and in your moves from company to company, your clientele followed you. You mm -hmm. mentioned you said something that was absolutely spot on. Black people don't trust white people with their money. Black people don't trust white people almost almost anything until they actually get to know that yeah with to actually know that person, so that 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 speaks volumes about your heart, and I appreciate that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But if you looked at it in a more general sense, people don't trust people. Period, unless they get to know them and like them and trust them. Mm, true that. And to me, it it starts with a simple hello and a smile. Exactly. You know that speaks volumes over anything else yeah you know and, and 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 again one other thing about money and financial planning and financial services it's is it's really all about mindset yeah. there's two mindsets a person can have a person can have a mindset of like that's not for me mm -hmm. i can't do that nobody's ever taught me i'm not i'm not going to bother with it mm -hmm. the other mindset could be i see a lot of people actually making a lot of money in this I should figure out how this works so that I can invest for my future. Right. And whether you think you can or you think you can, you're right. You're right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, give me a little bit about uh, information about your education in the financial world. How'd you get started in that? <laughs> Uh-oh, here comes a story. <laughs> That's awful. That's actually kind of funny. When I went to college, it goes back to college. When I went to college, I studied two things, English and communication. So basically mm -hmm. I left with a degree that was about, that was as meaningful as underwater basket weaving. <laughs> <laughs> you almost made me spit water on my computer. Okay. So um, with that, I went, I, I, I took on a lot of jobs. I was a pool boy. I was a security guard. I was, um, I made trains for Lionel. I did, I mean, you name it, I did it. 
and getting sick and tired and frustrated with not having the opportunity to make money, I found an ad in the very newspaper that I was selling. Um, I was selling I was selling advertisements in the newspaper, and in the in the newspaper that I was selling advertisements with, I found an advertisement to be a stockbroker. Okay. And I thought this has got to be better than the eighteen thousand dollars a year I'm making now, so I decided to check it out. Mm -hmm. Because I just wanted to make money. That's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to make money. Right. And so I got into the financial services industry just to make money. Now, if you do anything just to make money, it's never going to last. Yep. If you do anything just for whatever, fill in the blank, it's never going to last. There has to be an, an encompassing uh, philosophy behind whatever you do. Mm -hmm. And there's a very there's a very good speaker, and um, uh, he's got his own YouTube channel, podcast, whatever. He did a TED talk years ago called his name is Simon Sinek, S I N E K. Mm -hmm. He wrote a book called Find Your Why. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I firmly believe in. If you don't have a strong enough why as to what you're doing, what you're doing what? won't last. Yep. If you don't have a why, your what won't matter. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, but for the last 25 years, I've just been working in the what. Mm -hmm. This last year, I finally figured out what the why is. And now this is just mushroomed into something bigger than what the, this is. This is going to become something bigger than myself. I just know it. <laughs> And um, yeah, you know, it, it's it's interesting. Like I said, I, my worldview about what this show is about, you know, and sharing our struggles and, and everything and solutions and, you know, bringing us together. Um, when you really just, if, if we could all just listen to each other's voice without seeing faces, you would see that we're not different at all and we attack each other from face value and then you know you always find out later we really got to know each other it would have been different uh we are we're more alike than we are different and your story speaks such volumes um to that to help bring us together i appreciate that i truly appreciate that well thank you uh in in all of those jobs does how do you feel like any of that information we want and i already know the answers is part of this how do you feel that information and the things that you learn translated to your uh love coaching your personal coaching i'm gonna stop saying love coaching that's okay. <laughs> your okay. personal coach okay yeah. that's okay that's a great question because everything that i've done up until now every life experience that i've had whether it's positive or negative mm -hmm. Every interaction I've had, whether it's positive or negative. Put a pin in that, people. Positive Every or negative interactions. Has, is, 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 has given me the experience and the education and prepared me for what I'm doing now. Any negative, I, I, you know, the biggest thing that I hear from people is like, well, what if I fail? That's the biggest concern I hear from people. Well, I just don't want to fail. Well, what if you okay. don't fail? To me, failure is dying. Mm -hmm. That's when you fail. Mm -hmm. When you can't get up the next day to do it all over again. Mm -hmm. 
other than that, any failure is education, experience, and what not to do the next time. There you go. I quoted uh, Thomas Edison in my workbook. Uh, he was quoted as saying he, he never failed. He just figured out 10,000 ways how not to make a light bulb till he found the way that works. <laughs> Bingo. That's is it. That's exactly you it. Know, a failing That's forward. And I mean, if you're going to fail, fail forward in whatever it is you're trying to do, you're going to learn something. Just get up and try again. You know, mm -hmm. just fail forward. Well, you know, and if you haven't failed, you haven't learned. Right. I, um, I was in the multi-level marketing industry uh, for, well, I, I still have my companies and links, but I was very proactive for over eight years. And uh, one of my mentors said, you learn more by losing than you do by winning. Mm -hmm. And one thing that we saw uh, that was, it was, you were happy about it, but it was, you, you almost knew it was detrimental. When you get, you know, new people in the business, they have all this great success out the gate. And then the next thing you know, everything dive bombs. Cause, you know, everyone's excited when you know you first hear about something's exciting, and then you actually have to start putting the work in to share it. Cause it's, it's it's not a wow, what is it anymore? It's oh, okay, explain it. It's a little bit down down the road, and you realize uh, how difficult some things can be. So sometimes early success can be your biggest defeat. You know, when you don't realize how much work that success takes to get to accomplish. Nothing fails like success. Man. So, um, I, uh, yeah, we, we could go so many different directions after that statement right there. So, um, I, so you mentioned that, you know, you had been in the, the service in the financial services industry for over 25 years. Did you retire or you just said, you know what, I've had enough and okay. And, and started yeah. your life over as a personal coach. Yes, here. I retired. Beautiful. Likewise, it's an awesome feeling, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, so, and you explain to, to our listeners, how does uh, financial services and financial education tie in with a life coach um, or helping people accomplish their goals as a life coach? Well, again, it's all about mindset. Mm -hmm. To me, it's about confidence. It's about telling yourself I can rather than I can't. Mm -hmm. It's about not making excuses. Like, for example, we go back to when we go back to some of the reasons why, you know, black people or people, uh, minority people in general don't invest in the market. Right. It's because they haven't been exposed to that experience, don't understand it, don't understand what it's like and are, and are afraid of it. Mm -hmm. And so excuses like, I gotta feed my family, I gotta pay bills, I gotta do, I, you know, I don't have, I don't, I can't, I don't, I don't, I don't, mm -hmm. I can't. Every I don't, I can't is a reality. True, mm -hmm. but then if we switch that reality a little bit around and say, maybe I can just scrape up $5 a, a, a day or $5 a week, mm -hmm. $5 a week. If you do five or $10 a week, just set that aside at the end of the month, you got 30 or $40 a month to invest. You can find mm -hmm. a program to invest that little bit at a time and then watch that grow over time. Little steps, little things, just mm -hmm. little things. Maybe, you know, you don't have the money to invest, but maybe instead of buying Twinkies, <laughs> take that $1.35 and set it aside. Mm -hmm. 
it, it's just those little things. But again, it's that mindset and what it is you're going after and having a vision for your life. Right. Most people don't have a vision for their life. Most people just go through day to day just trying to get on autopilot. Right. Right. Um, and that it is so important. I mean, it's, just, it's every almost every cut. Co- well, every coach, every professional that I've interviewed all keep chiming the same thing. And my listeners, if you haven't gotten this by now, you're not listening. This mindset and visualization, you absolutely have to visualize what it is that you're trying to go uh, and what direction you're trying to go and what it is that you're trying to do. Um, whether it's finances or anything in between, you know, so. Yeah, yeah there's two sides of looking at a thing. There's a very interesting um, Native American um, saying, mm-hmm. and I know I'm going to screw this up, so I'm going <laughs> to. Well, he's do it just paraphrasing, folks. Don't quote him, okay? I'm just going to paraphrase it. There's a Native American saying that goes that I have two wolves inside of me. Mm. One wolf that wants to do bad and one wolf that wants to do good. Mm -hmm. And it just depends on which wolf I feed that day. That part. (laughs) You know, we all have the choice to, we all have, we all the ability to choose are we going to choose negative or are we going to choose positive? Right. And for some reason, it takes much harder work to choose positive than it does to choose negative. Yeah. You know, positive, I mean, the negative is usually microwave, but I can get it now, but I can make it happen now. Mm-hmm. Positive choices usually take a little bit longer. I mean, we just, we really truly need to develop patience as a, as a people and as a community um, because success is not a microwavable situation. It is not. No. Yeah. You know. So, um, how do you how do you prepare for consults? You know, when there's people are people, and everyone is so different. You know, so how do you prepare for these consults? Do you is there a certain setting that you're in? Um, you have rituals that you set up. Music. Well, the setting that I'm in, the setting I'm usually in, is a setting that I'm in now. This is okay. my little a cave of an office and I love it. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm in the corner of my house too. It's like the whole right corner, the whole feng shui thing. Okay. This is the, yeah. really, this is the business corner. Uh, yeah. But interestingly enough, I, when I sit here, it flows, you know, the, the creativity flows, but other parts Absolutely. of the house, just like, I'm just kind of chilling. So, yeah. you know, how do you, what else do you, what do you do to prepare for them? Like, you meditate well, for a ritual uh, before consults and stuff. That what I do is I make sure I have a list of questions uh, prepared in front of me that I generally ask. Okay. Typically, you know, what do you want to achieve in your life? What do you really want to achieve in your life? Uh-huh. On a scale of one to ten, how important is this? On a scale of one to ten, how far along are you? Are you? Are you on your goal? What's holding you back? What's keeping you from achieving that goal? These are the kinds of questions that I develop initially because I really don't know what I'm going to run into. And I really, I refrain from directing the conversation in a a certain way because I don't want it to be about 
what I think the person should do. I want it to be about the person discovering themselves what they should do. Right. That's really the, that's that really right there is the crux and the beauty of coaching is not telling you what you need to do, but letting you discover for yourself what it is you need to do. Awesome. You know, I couldn't tell you any more what to do today than, I mean, you just said, I'm not going to listen to you. What are you talking about? I know what I need to do. I'm not going to, that's my point. I'm not going to, I can't tell anybody how to live their life. Right. You need to discover that for yourself, but I can ask the questions in a way that allows you to discover it. Awesome. Um, and, you know, I'll tell the people how we met. Uh, we wound up connecting on LinkedIn. I'm not sure if I reached out to you or you reached out to me. And uh, we did set a time for us to talk. And, you, you know, asked me if I would like some coaching and consultation. This is, I, I'm always one to accept help. Um, I'm not one of those people, I don't need no help from nobody. No, if you're offering help, what kind of help you got? You know, if I, if I need help opening a door, carrying a bag, mowing a lawn, I'm, you know, the pride goes before the fall. And if I fall one more time, my head go roll down the street. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not prideful in those things. So just, sure, you know, so we talked and connected. And the first thing you asked me was, well, what is, what is it that you would like to do? What do you need help with? And I, I had to, that stumped me. I, I don't, it is crazy, but, um, for a person that talks for a living, I've been talking for a living for over 30 years, I was sitting there like, uh, mm, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, yeah, I, I'm retired and, you know, I've been doing okay for myself, but uh, at this juncture in life, I've been, I had made so many changes and I lost my husband a couple years ago. Uh, it'll be two years in May, rest his beautiful soul. Um, and I wound up moving across the world and I wound up putting all my uh, pain and thoughts and life experience in a book and a couple minutes later all of a sudden I'm a podcaster. <laughs> I had mm -hmm. never, I will uh, tell you a secret, I had never listened to a single podcast until, <laughs> until this week. And I have been, I have been doing this show for almost five months. <laughs> it was, it was never, uh, it fell in my lap. It was never something that I set out to do. Um, it was, you know, I, it came from my book. So all these, all these things kind of unfolded in my life in the last two years. And uh, I've always been kind of pretty set on handling, so I wasn't sure what I needed help with or if I needed help or were these areas that you can help me with. And by the end of our conversation, I realized that while I don't really need a whole lot of coaching, the mentorship is wonderful. Um, you have a lot of heart and passion and you really care about what you do. And even if I don't have you as my personal coach, I think my listeners should know who you are and reach out to you and talk to you and see if they want to continue talking to you because you're a really great spirit and I, I i can feel that in our conversation so i appreciate who you are and what you do well thank you so much thank you thank so you much. <laughs> thank you one less prejudiced white guy like this this is a this is a win for the black community i love it <laughs> Oh, 
can, can you imagine getting arrested by me? Because this is this has been pretty much my attitude and personality forever. <laughs> um, and I, I can I can remember telling some of my clientele back then when I was it's called my clientele, uh, yeah. my street clientele back then, like. Uh, I don't run that fast. You just, how you let me catch you? <laughs> I was, I was just better at my job today than, than you are. Next time, either run faster or slow your car down sooner. And uh, <laughs> oh, so, yes, yeah, so I always tell people when they say, "Oh, I've heard a lot about you." Believe everything. Believe everything that you ever heard about me, because chances are. <laughs> Well, I, 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 I tell people, it's like, I'm so thankful that there were no cell phones when I was in college or else I would really be in trouble. <laughs> Man, yeah, so we were just we were talking about, um, you know, in our connection before our, the show about, uh, you know, when we were kids and, you know, growing up and uh, I was born in 71 and you were born in 63. 63. Yeah. Yeah. And we had three channels in Cleveland. It was three, five and eight. Yeah. Uh, and I was my mother's first remote control. <laughs> <laughs> and our 72 deuce and a quarter LTD uh, did, didn't come with seat belts. It came with a no. it came with a couch in the back seat that was uh, made out of leather. And we had a wonderful time sliding the crossover when mama turned left. We went right. <laughs> Like it's like, make a right turn now. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those lines in my favorite song. I got a car as big as a whale and it's about to set sail. Uh -huh. <laughs> and you, you could put you could put a body and, and six pieces of luggage in the trunk. It was. <laughs> yeah, those exactly. Cars back then were something. It, they uh, were. Yeah. Um, as a matter, matter of fact, my last encounter with a 70s vehicle uh, was in a car wreck. And I lost. <laughs> yeah, I lost. I lost that battle. Uh, so, who is? What's? What is your ideal clientele? Who's some of your ideal clients, and why? My ideal clients are people that are in their in their, in their um, 40s and up. That typically have family that are working in some sort of an executive position or sales position, mm. or they they want to advance or further their career into a different area than where they're at now. And just, or whatever's keeping them from holding them back from pursuing that career or taking that next step or going to the next level. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm looking for to help. Now, why is that your ideal client? Because that is the person that has goals, has concerns, has, has, has a vision and wants to take it to the next level, but just doesn't know how to get there has a vision there's that word again vision visualization um let's talk about that okay. mm -hmm. um how how important how valuable do you feel like visualizing a future is visualizing the future is very important and here's why mm -hmm. the brain cannot differentiate between something that's on a screen and something that's real right you being on the screen right now is the same reality as if we were talking in face to face in person. Okay. Your brain cannot cannot discern which is real, which is fake. To your brain, it's all real. Right. So 
if you visualize what your future is going to look at look like mm -hmm. and you and you and you sit there and you have a clear imaginative picture of what that looks like what you're doing when you're at the top of your game who you're speaking to when you're at the top of your game what car you're driving what house you're living in the more real it becomes the clearer it becomes the more likely you are to achieve that studies have shown that if 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 you wanted to speak, for example, in front of 5,000 people, mm -hmm. then take a, take a shot, get a picture of an auditorium with 5,000 people in the auditorium, and then Photoshop yourself in there, and then put it on your desk every single day. So you actually see yourself talking to 5,000 people, and your brain's going to think that you've done that, and your brain's going to figure out how to do that going forward. That is a phenomenal tip. Because I would just imagine the whole audience naked. So that was the advice that, that was the advice that I was given. You know, just just picture everybody naked or in their underwear and you'll be fine. Well, Didn't if you want work. to Photoshop the crowd naked, that's your choice. But you know, <laughs> at least put yourself in it too. That might change the trajectory <laughs> of the whole conversation though. <laughs> at least in my mindset. Um that that is a great a piece of advice and something so simple that people can do um, in visualization you know of course that that has always come up with all of the coaches and professionals and uh, I talk about my experience with it um, and doing dream boards I do mm -hmm. dream you know I, I'll periodically do a dream board as a matter of fact um, in it may have been 11 2011, early 2012. Um, I had been in several long-term relationships and it's always when we get together, we date, and we decide if we want to get married. And five, six years goes by and, and, you know, that didn't work out and now I've wasted five or six years. So uh, I did not want to go into the next relationship with that mentality. Um, so I had been, you know, in most level marketing and I do a lot of this, these visualiz visualization talks and, you know, uh, seminars and stuff. And uh, I'd seen The Secret by Rhonda Byrne. Um, I'm going to write that down and put a pen in it because we're going to touch back on The Secret uh, later. Um, and I woke up the next day on fire. I was like, Wow. So uh, in taking some of the information and, and steps from, from that movie, and so we'll talk about more about that later, I uh, made my, my vision board and I says, I am I'm ready to be married. I've always been a wife. Uh, you know, I grew up in that environment. My grandparents had been married 53 years when they passed. Um, aunts and uncles are, you know, had been married 30 plus years by the time I was born. Uh, I was my uncle's flower girl when I was five they celebrated 41 years before he passed away a few years ago so I you know come from that family of longevity my mother was the only nutcase you know my mother was a prostitute and I'm a trick baby and I talked I'll talk about it in my book so that's how I wound up being a half white Russian child in a black neighborhood Woo, that's a that's a little bit in every show um, <laughs> buy the book get your own damn fish that's why I'm the bitch life made me but that's that's where all that come from um, but in, in, in visualization, so I said, I'm, I'm, I want to be married. Okay, so I'm going to take this 
same concept and apply it to my relationship. And so I wrote out on a piece of paper my uh, criteria, what I want, you know, how tall I want him, how, uh, how much I'd like this guy to weigh, uh, his complexion, mama love chocolate. Um, <laughs> and and I, it had, he had to be an entrepreneur-minded person and um, he actually also had to have my membership either from me or from someone else. At that time, that was my litmus for your, uh, your ability to make sound decisions. So those five check marks, I wrote those down, and then I uh, wrote on a piece of paper, um, Boaz. As I, at this time, I was a devout Christian, and my feelings have since changed. We'll talk about it another time. Uh, if you listen long enough, you'll hear all those little bits and pieces about why I'm not a devout Christian anymore. But um, at that time, you know, I, I've read the Bible front to back several times. And, and in, there's a story, the book of Ruth. And mm -hmm. in the book of Ruth, um, she talks about Boaz. And Boaz is the quintessential wonderful husband of the Bible. And, you know, he was, at, he was a lot older than Ruth, but and he was mature. He was caring. He was loving. He was a, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, the... Um, meaning the English translation of the Hebrew word Boaz is valiant warrior or mighty man of valor. Mm -hmm. So I had already written them down, but I typed them out on a full sheet of paper, printed them out, put them on my vision board. A year and a half later, I met my husband. Now, <laughs> I was, now I tell you, and, and we'll talk more about stuff that I've written down, how I wound up sitting here, how I am going to get that phone call from Michelle Obama. We, we talk, we'll, get to, we'll get to that. It's written down. I wrote it down five years ago. <laughs> uh, uh, before I'm 50. And um, so I, uh, I, when I met my husband, um, he was a personal trainer. And uh, he was a personal trainer, and I sold legal plans, and we wound up meeting online. And basically, it's like, okay, well, you take a look at the legal plans that I have that protect small business owners, and then I will take a look at the services that you, you know, offer. I've been in the gym since I was eight, so I know what I'm looking at. And, you know, I didn't tell him all this, but I was like, okay, here's another personal trainer trying to do something, something. But... <laughs> so, you know, everybody wants to be a personal trainer. It's because you got six-pack abs, so... <laughs> <laughs> but I, I get to this facility and um, I you know, so sit down and do my presentation. I'm, I'm skipping over the part where I walk into all these beautiful black men and I absolutely drop my professionalism on the floor. I'll skip over, <laughs> I'll skip over that part. <laughs> but um, I said, you know, let me pull, let me rein it back in. And here I am walking in in this tight 16, 18, pants and you know my my uh my legal shield you know with the logo on there and <laughs> and uh this you know very handsome gentleman sitting very uh proudly and confident behind the desk and i says okay you know this this is my legal plan with legal shield you unlimited consultation documented contract review and letters and phone calls on your behalf he stopped me sat me up for that and i'm thinking god and he's smart too oh my god <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he was also engaged to another woman the other trainer so uh, 16 months later, I walked down the aisle to him a size four. So, <laughs> yeah, y'all want to know what happened to his fiance? I ain't had nothing to do that. Call me, we'll talk about it. Uh, <laughs> wine and uh, uh, some marijuana herbs, which I am legally licensed 
to smoke for pain and, and, and anxiety and depression. Ha! So, hate me now. <laughs> so, yeah, writing things down and that visualization um, is absolutely phenomenal. And, uh, and, you know, in my coaching, when I talk to people about that and about, you know, writing down what their ideal life is, uh, take, the, take the brakes off. Take the shoulders off. Don't put limitations. Just shoot for the moon. How you feel about that one? I I wholeheartedly agree. You know, I mean, really, we do such a great job of making up negative stuff. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna make up stuff, make up positive stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, shoot for the stars and reach the moon. Right. You know, um, there's a line in Pretty Woman when she says you know the bad stuff is easier to believe and it is when you think about when we were kids and we had these vast imaginations and um, you know Albert Einstein says that imagination is absolutely everything is a preview of things to come in life's coming attractions so we were kids you know we're riding that you know LTD deuce and a quarter slide from one side to the other (laughs) Um, we're, we're passing beautiful houses and we're going, that's my house. I'm going to live in that house. And, ooh, that, that's my car. That's my car. And then as we get older, we start, you know, that starts to diminish. Yeah. That's because you start believing all the lies that society and culture tells you. Start looking at the news about you can't. What are you trying to do? People telling you you can't. What are you trying to do? A whole nine yards. Yeah. Um, and, and we talked, we mentioned this a little bit earlier, you, and you, you mentioned that in um, the commercial that you just did for me, it's awesome. Um, the lies, the lies that we tell ourselves. Let's please talk about that a little bit more. Okay. That's one of the things that, when I talk to people, that's one, one of the biggest things that I hear. Well, you know, if I had, or if I did, or if I were, I can't, I, my situation is this. Um, I don't know how I could. What are you talking about? That's ridiculous. I can't get all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And really what it, what it all comes down to, there, there, there's, a, a, there's a, a, a gentleman, his name is Michael Neal. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book called Super Coach, which really stirred my soul. He talks about how each one of us, when we're initial, when we're first born, we're, we are pure, mm-hmm. unadulterated. It's like all of us, when we're first born, we have this beautiful shining diamond inside of ourselves just just waiting to get out. Mm -hmm. But then after all of the don'ts and no's and you can't and what are you thinking and, you know, society keeping you down or whatever the case may be, you start piling on mud on top of that diamond because Mm -hmm. society tells you you're no good. And then when you try to fix yourself, you just put a bunch of nail polish on top of it or lipstick or whatever to make yourself look good. Like trying to wax a dirty car. Right. Exactly. It's exactly what you're trying to do is wax a dirty car. When if you just peel back all of the mud and the dirt and the lies and the stuff that we've gone through and all the experiences that's been bad and mm-hmm. and just get to the actual that that diamond again and bring mm-hmm. out what makes you shine. Mm -hmm. wash the car first before you wax it you'll find it's prettier (laughs) a lot less gritty 
Yeah. Uh, you know, in in, in uh, what in the real estate business, they talk about putting lipstick on a pig. Uh huh. That's what we do every day. And, um. And and I, I would really, uh, I'd appreciate it if people like really look at that uh, scenario that you just mentioned. Like, close your eyes and picture that diamond with all that mud on top. The diamond is still in there. The diamond is still beautiful. The diamond is still shining and it is still so valuable. And all of us, every single one of us, no matter how old, how whatever, and drug addicts, it doesn't matter. That diamond is still in there. You just got to get to it. We're all capable and so powerful to do so much more than what we are doing right now. And I think some of it is because people are afraid of the uh, actually afraid of the power they're capable of having. With much power comes much responsibility. And, you know, for those of us who have been uh, saddled with had a household and jobs and kids and that and the other, oh, I got so much responsibility now that we talk ourselves out of success. I've never met so many people. I I never thought that people could actually be afraid of success Mm -hmm. and it 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 also surprised me as i got older to see how many people just Mm self-sabotage and i think a lot of it is because people are anxious well if i make it i have to stay there what if i can't what if i'm a fraud what if i'm you know what if what if it's just a one-time thing what happens if i start hitting like you say when you experience success right off the bat Mm -hmm. and then it starts to go south a little bit you get anxious about, well, is this real? Is this a fleeting thing, or you know, is this just lightning in a bottle? What's going on here? Yeah, um, you know, the thing of it is, is there is absolutely nothing wrong with failing. It's okay when you know when, when we're babies and we're trying to learn how to walk. Uh, and no one pops out and stands straight up on their feet. Um, no, no, uh, infant I've ever seen, and I'll be 50 years old this year, and I've seen a lot of infants. I've never seen them go straight from crawling, stand up, and walk off. They fall, they bump their head, they scrape their knee, and never, the thought never occurs to them, well, I'll just quit. I don't want to learn how to walk, you know? Um, one of my mentors said, you can't crawl all your life. We weren't meant to be, to crawl or be carried. And walk, you gotta use your legs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I think I asked you this, but I'm not sure. I don't I don't think we really got to the connection. Financial services and uh, successful like personal coaching. Now mm-hmm. let's let's just say on our personal life side. Um, it's not a. It's not necessarily focused on the money. Let's, let's say it's a relationship. It's a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, how does their financial knowledge um, even tie into their their relationship success? Well, let's let's talk about relationship success because that that's very very important too. I see a lot of relationships fail or break apart because of individual expectations Mm -hmm. and selfish expectations. 
I see a lot of marriages and a lot of relationships. Well, um, I'm, I'll, I'll be with her, but I'll marry her if she changes, or I'll marry him if he changes, or I'll marry him if, or I'll marry him if, or gee, if I marry him, what can I get from him? Or if I marry her, what's she going to do for me? It's always about selfish expectations. Mm. The proper, I, the proper relationship, the proper partnership, the ideal relationship and partnership in my mind is not me, but we. Yes. Uh, and contrary to popular opinion, it is not a 50-50 deal. It is not There's a 50-50 100%, 100% on both sides. It will, you have 50-50 is half. And, Thank and if, you. if you give, if you're 50 and I'm 50, you half-assing, I'm half-assing. <laughs> you know, you're the, you're, 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 all, you're the first person that I've talked to that understands that concept. Um, because I've, I've, I've lived it. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? That's why I said this, this whole, sh- I, my whole platform is about real experiences. I've lived this and I, I've had, uh, you know, I, I was married to a strong black man. Um, who had had prior life issues and dealing with uh, he's a black man issues from street hustling through prison and all of that mm-hmm. and you know me dealing with what I've dealt with and coming together I still didn't understand uh, the the life of and what it felt to be or have to be a black man in America until we came together and we had to to find those uh, common grounds to be able to talk and you know I always tell people, like, the, the first two and a half years of our relationship was absolutely blissful. That was that major success. It's just like, you know, starting a new business and having success out the gate. Um, I hired him as a personal trainer, and then he wound up being my husband. And uh, we, didn't get our, we didn't have our first real arguments after our first anniversary. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, he was making his, and I, I had my retirement, plus, you know, I was doing my business. And then in 17, we decided to go voluntarily houseless. So we sold and purged and, and donated everything out of our home that we could not fit in an 06 Jeep Liberty. And mm-hmm. we packed up our little dog and we headed south uh, and lived out of our vehicle, you know, for six weeks. Um, and of, of all of this powerful and wonderful strong, we, you know, we, we wound up strong out the gate. And we, we were strong out the gate because in my, within myself, I'm a confident, complete woman. Okay? I, don't, I don't need a man or another person to complete me. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I am, you know, I'm perfectly fine with being in a house for days without music, without, you know, sound because I'm comfortable with the voice. Me and the voices in my head get along and the monsters under my bed are scared of me. So I get along with those voices. Now, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna write me, myself and I right there um, because if we had, depend on, we might wind up in two hour show, but <laughs> because that's important of uh, the me, myself and I. But also my, uh, David, my late husband, was a strong, confident man, comfortable in his own skin as well. Mm-hmm. And he was self-sufficient. He was, you know, a man on his own. And, and this is what people need to understand. You can't, you can't get into a relationship expecting somebody to complete you. You just wind up with two broken people <laughs> limping, you know, holding each other up like a three-legged potato sack race. Yeah. So, 
that was the um, the strength behind us coming together. But when, when we wound up in, you know, doing this travel um, and, and being out of town or whatever, some of the things that uh, David had prepared and set up fell through. So we wound up just depending on my income for all of this. And it, it truly, even though it, as wonderful our, as our relationship and strong as it was, it almost broke us. It, mm -hmm. it, if we just stayed, we were down there for 10 months, and I truly believe that had we stayed down there longer, it would have destroyed our marriage with the financial situation that we were going in. This is why I've mentioned a couple times, like, I understand what finances and love coaching has to do with each other, but please explain how you do it. So, mm -hmm. yeah, there's nothing. Nothing kills a relationship, no matter whether it's friends, family, or a couple, like money. That's right. Or the That's lack right. thereof. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we all have our own ideas as to what money is or what money isn't based on our own personal experience and our own personal background. Right. And your husband's experience with money and your experience with money might be two completely different things. Right. And it's not talked about. It's not taught. It's not really, it's like the elephant in a room, all, all people's lives. So, but the important thing is, is like I said, when, when, when you go, when you are in a partnership, regardless of what that partnership is, it's a we, which means you sit down and you talk about what the boundaries are. What, 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 you know, I mean, my wife and I have an agreement that if it's over $250, we're talking about it first. That's awesome. That is a great rule. So, and, you know, we figure out how we're going to pay the expenses this month and what, and, and where we're going to go the next month and so forth and so on that's part of the we, mm -hmm. you know, I've seen too many couples, too many partners that like the husband, for example, it, wants a new bowling ball. So he buys a new bowling ball and the wife is upset because he got a new bowling ball. So she goes and she gets sets a day at the spa, you know, and then he's pissed off because she's got a day at the spa. So he goes and buys a Corvette and she mm -hmm. buys, and it just becomes spiral is this escalating up the force continuum. <laughs> Bingo. Right. Uh, so uh, as you were talking, this, this thought came to mind. I, I have uh, some friends, a young couple um, that are beautifully in love. And, and to see them together, they are, uh, I love their absolutely remind me of um, myself and David. It's a dark skinned young black man and a light skinned young woman. And it almost it almost broke my heart when I saw them together because, like I said, I'm still grieving the loss of my husband. We were very close mm -hmm. like that. And um, apparently they had some issues, and so she walks, she winds up walking down my driveway one day, and you know she's crying. I'm like, you know, issues. So we talked a little bit, and and I pull a pin out that about a, a week or so before, um, they were coming over for something, and they both walked up. Now his face said, everything is fine. Her face said, Ugh. so <laughs> I said. Y'all just got done arguing, huh? She was like, Ugh. and he says, shut up. And it's, it was obvious, <laughs> it was obvious to, to me that automatically said that he grew up in that what goes on in my household stays in my household uh, era. Um, she grew up with, oh, baby, let's just, you know, just no matter where we are and, and let's just talk about it now. So when she came to my house that day with tears in her eyes and we talked a little bit, and um, 
she was you know, kind of telling me about some little situations that's going on. I informed her that um, one thing I do not do and did not do and will never do are PDAs. Not public displays of affection. I love public displays of affection, but I will not do public displays of aggression. Mm-hmm. So, um, and just kind of talking with both of them, um, they, they're having, they're both saying the same things, but the other doesn't understand because they're missing the mark on communication. Please give some advice on how to cross these boundaries with the communication areas. Cause y'all didn't grow up together. You got to just find out how to communicate. Please help our listeners with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's, there's basic rules of communication. Um, what I call rules of engagement, mm-hmm. <laughs> rules of conflict. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be conflict in any kind of relationship, regardless. The four rules of conflict, I believe, are, is first of all, keep the past in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's an argument about, you know, doing the dishes, you don't bring up what happened in 1995 on Monday morning at 8 a.m. That part. I'm sorry. Just, yeah, it's, uh, y'all, please <laughs> stop, stop compiling all this stuff. Go ahead, Chet. I'm sorry. That's okay. That's you okay. are speaking my language. I love it. Good. The past has to be in the past regardless. Okay. The other thing, the other rule of engagement when, when, when having any kind of a conflict is focus on the problem, not the person. Mm-hmm. I mean, the person you're talking about can be, can, could be a complete idiot, jerk off, whatever you want to call it, him or her. But that's not going to do any good. I, 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 you know, I, I like it. I like to focus the problem as like this, this book. Okay. Okay. This book is the problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. Whatever this problem is, you didn't do the dishes. You came home late last night. You, you know, you spent too much money. You were lazy. You're not looking for a job. Whatever the problem is, this is the problem. Mm-hmm. The person doing the problem is not to be judged or to be blamed. Right. The problem is to be attacked, not the person. Right. So for example, if it's not the dishes, okay, how come the dishes didn't get done? Was it because you were tired? Was it because, you know, what was the reason for that so that we can fix it going forward? Right. Whatever that issue is, you know, what was the reason for X so that we can figure out what the problem is and fix it going forward? Not that you're a stupid idiot jerk for doing that, right. but how can we fix this so it doesn't happen again? Exactly. Um, and then- like my wife tells my children, I love you. I just don't like what you're doing right now. Uh, and there, uh, please separate the two because, um, like you say, you, you start attacking the, the person for the thing, and the person is not the problem. The thing is, the person is the same person that you married or you connected with. Um, so let's deal with these issues. Um, I, in the accident that I was in in 2001, I put my head through the windshield and actually lost my memory for two years. Mm-hmm. And um, mm. I, I, I knew where everyone was, but like my short-term memory, like I'd get to a red light, and by the, t- the, by the time the light turns green, I have no idea what I'm doing here, how I got here, or where I'm going. And sometimes I'd have to pull over and, and clarify it and try to get it together. And so um, 
Interestingly, interestingly enough, I became a crime scene detective after that and was the best crime scene detective in the city. And that was because I was trying so hard to prove I could still do my job that mm -hmm. I paid attention to every minute detail. They didn't know that was going on in my head. From, to them, it just looked like I was thorough and doing a great job. But the thing of it is, is, uh, you know, jobs are a protocol. Step one, step two, step three, there's a book about it. Home, you have to make it up as you go. And so... Um, I says, you know, fast forward 17 years later, 16, 17 years later, 18 years later into my marriage. Um, every time we would have an issue, um, you know, we'd sit down and talk about it. When we get home, ladies and gentlemen, when you get home, stop putting your business in the street. You give <laughs> cleanup women, such as myself, I told you my husband was engaged to another woman we met and 16 months later he was my husband mm -hmm. stop giving the streets ammunition to kill your relationship so um we were you know every time we would have a little issue you know and i i don't deal with yelling very well i don't, I don't deal with all the loud drama from my ptsd okay mm -hmm. um and because of my short-term memory loss um if we don't attack a or deal with a situation um, pronto, uh, a week later or whatever, I'm still going to be upset, but I can't remember why. And I can't put the words together and maybe two or three other things have happened. And, um, I, it, I'm a, I'm a very intelligent woman, but I've had these, this issue. I had this problem. And so it would, it would all pile up and I can't, uh, put the the put the, the pieces back in, in like dominoes the dominoes are all scattered I can't line them back up to be able to relate to you what this issue is and so I just wind up crying and screaming and looking like a crazy woman so uh, yeah. my, my husband will say why we every time we have why we got to sit down and, because um, and, and, I, and I hope people are getting this even if you don't have the head issue the brain issue like I do if you let all this stuff piled up, y'all wind up screaming at each other like crazy people. Mm -hmm. But if you sit down and talk about this stuff. Uh, Which is I, the third rule that I have in communication. See? Go ahead. Go stimulus, ahead. pause, response. Mm -hmm. Most of us go stimulus, response. In other words, you say something to me, I react, I throw my coffee cup at you. Mm -hmm. If you say something to me, I, re I, 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 I listen, I process it, and I think about it, and then I relay it back to you. Like, so what you're saying to me is this. Mm -hmm. That's stimulus, pause, response. Don't let anger get a hold of you so bad that you react in such a way you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna you're gonna feel um, sorry control. for later. Yeah. 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 And, and you said something that was important that, you know, you tell me something and I process it. That means you actually have to listen to the person and not not be formulating your response in your head while they're talking. Because all you do is see their lips move and then you come back with ah, that didn't have nothing to do with what they just said. And you missed the whole point, you know, so listening Bingo. intently. Yep. Bingo. And that's very, very difficult to do, especially when they're heat of it. Yes. But that's why you get the third. The, the last rule is you can't let you can't go to bed angry. How important is that? Please say how important is that? You can't go to bed angry. 
Why is that, sir? Please explain to our listeners why that's so important. Because you don't sleep and then you ruminate and then you think and then it festers. And like you said, it just festers and festers and festers until you end up running into a streetlight. <laughs> that or part. Into a house. <laughs> and that is real talk. Exactly. That's real talk. You know, um, and then, like you said, uh, your brain can't always your, your brain can't discern whether something is real or physical. Imagine. And so yeah. when you doing all of this sleeping on all this mad stuff and, and things, your brain can wrap that around some stuff that wasn't even actual in that situation that actually did only happen in your head. And there you go going off on your spouse about it. And they don't know what you're talking about. And again, you look like a crazy person. Mm-hmm. Bingo. <laughs> Uh, and it's I, it's so wonderful to hear the validation behind my philosophies coming from somebody else. Right? You and I didn't get together to make this stuff up based on my philosophies. Um, and it's just, it's really validating to hear mm-hmm. that I've been doing something right. Uh, and I'm glad that I'm able to, you know, have this platform to, to bring people like you to the public um, because the hardest part in the world for most people, especially in the black community, is asking for help or knowing when we need to. Um, And we're so, when the toilet breaks down or the car breaks down, we're quick to call a plumber and a mechanic. But when Mm -hmm. our minds and our relationship and our finances break down, we try to handle it ourselves. And and as a relationship coach or a life coach, being a financial professional, I'm sure you can truly um, comment on that. Here's my problem with the, is I have a problem with the entire self-help industry. I mean, think of the millions and billions of dollars that are made from the self-help industry. Mm-hmm. All these books that you write about how you should empower yourself, how you should, you know, improve yourself and what you should do differently and so forth. Mm-hmm. Nobody follows that. And nobody does that because you can't get, if you put yourself into the problem, how are you going to get yourself out of it? That part. If you've dug yourself a 10 foot deep hole, how are you going to get yourself out of the hole? Unless somebody stretches their hand down in the hole to reach down and pull you out. And help. And help. Mm-hmm. I kind of like it to AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. You know, people aren't going to reach out for help until they decide to reach out for help. Mm-hmm. I just hope it's sooner than later. Right. Um, uh, and and I, that's another reason why this platform is here um, for followblackdollars.org. Um, like I said, it is it's difficult for a lot of us to ask for help and admit that we need help. I was having a conversation with one of my sisters about a year or so ago after my husband passed. And I revealed to her that I'd had a psychologist. I have a psychologist I have for years after my car wreck um, and helped me put the pieces together. And her response was, and, and this, this, kind of, this goes to the level or lack of education in, um, in middle class and lower communities, whether you're black and white, that uh, just about everything that we learned is from scripted television, sitcoms and, and such. And then we start talking to other people and they say this and they say that and they say that and we don't research for ourselves. So I was having this conversation with my sisters and mind you, I'm the baby girl so, and everyone is 
several years older than me. This particular sister is six years older than me. And um, so I was telling her, you know, about uh, this, my doctor, and I could always tell just where my head is based on how soon he schedules my next appointment. <laughs> so he usually... <laughs> 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 so usually it was, you know on a regular day when things are fine it's once a month and so when he reaches for his notepad and he goes okay well Nicole I'll see you next week when you're available I'm like oh I am so screwed up right now <laughs> <laughs> that bad huh doc uh so you're looking at a bullet wound how bad is it doc oh you're dying okay <laughs> so I was having this conversation with my sister and, you know, saying, well, you know, my appointment or whatever. She's like, a psychologist? What should you see a psychologist for? What'd they go say? Well, what's your problem? And how do you feel? And how do you feel about that? I, I said, that is not even, that's not real. You got that off of TV. You, you didn't even get that off of primetime TV. You got that off a of sitcom. That's not <laughs> real. That's not how real that's do it. And I just said, I said, you know, I was nervous at first about talking to a psychologist about my issues or even admitting out loud that I had certain issues I needed help with. But here was my comfort level. And this is what I want people to help understand that you're not a licensed psychologist, so you're not upheld by law. But when you're talking about professionalism, this goes a step beyond. And you're still held to the same level of professionalism. Mm -hmm. I, I would look forward to my doctor's appointments because I get to talk to someone who's not sitting there judging. They're mm -hmm. not sitting there formulating their uh, response or opinion or idea while you're talking. Someone that is actually there to listen to you, that mm -hmm. won't judge you and won't use your information and the stuff that you tell them against you and not only that you know with my with the psychologist situation they are bound by law to take that information to their death you can't even go home and talk to your spouse about it you can maybe talk to your spouse about you know i this client that has this situation you can generalize it but you mm -hmm. can't put a pin on or a picture on that person and that is a comfort knowing that i can get stuff off my chest with someone and you know and give some, some great feedback back or get some information or a resource, which is, you know, very valuable in helping pass through these situations. But that level of trust and having uh, someone that you can connect with. And so I appreciate, you know, uh, you doing what you're doing in life coaching and coming from the financial background, you're a fiduciary. So you understand the meaning of keeping your mouth shut and keeping information to yourself. And so though you're not bound by law to, to keep that information, your morality, <laughs> your, eth your work ethic, which is evident over the last 25 years that you were able to actually retire from, states mm -hmm. that you are a, a man of trust and know how to keep your mouth shut and information to yourself and dis mm -hmm. uh, listen intently and disseminate information that people can understand. So I, you know, I implore people, um, our listeners, to reach out for help. Um, and walking in love coach at gmail.com is his email address. Um, you also have a website. Please give your yes, website address. It, give your yep, it, address. It's www.walking-in-love.net. Beautiful. Um, and it's funny, I even like the dashes because the dashes 
spread out. It's walking in love. It, it says yep. a lot about uh, what it is that you're going to find when you um, reach out to you. Uh, how, how did your family respond to your uh, choice to go into life coaching, uh, personal coaching? That's a, that's a very Uh-oh. good that's a very good question because uh, the last two or three years I shifted from uh, working in an office environment to working at home. Mm-hmm. And my wife works out of our house too. And sometimes she'll, she works a couple days a week at the church, helping out with the church and so forth. Mm-hmm. So when I'm doing my financial business in my office on a daily basis, my office is right above our bedroom, which is where my wife is at some, most of the time studying, learning, reading, whatever. Mm-hmm. One day she comes downstairs to me because there was a certain day that wasn't going so well. And I was, I was literally just exploding off expletives left and right. And she says to me, she says, is it going to be like this every day? Because I'm going to find something to do if it is. That was the first clue to me that I probably shouldn't be in this business. <laughs> oh, but wait, I gotta, I gotta put a pin in it. Cause we were, okay, go ahead. <laughs> so when, uh, when she told me that I realized I got to make some changes. Okay. So she was ecstatic. Whenever I come upstairs out of my office uh, after I've had a good coaching call or whatever, and I say, I love my job. Right. She just smiles. She just smiles and smiles. <laughs> like, right. right. And I can imagine, I can imagine being your wife hearing all that stuff because, you know, with my husband, he's, you know, such a professional guy about all this other stuff. And, um, it was watching the football game and the basketball game. And I was like, oh, my God, that is why men have caves. If I didn't know that was how nasty, I would have never kissed you. Oh, my God. So I completely identify with what your wife was dealing with at that moment. For three years, football, the Browns, Cleveland Browns, they were not, you would know, not know they're not on TV. If you go to somewhere and see, do not. I don't want to hear nothing about the word. The Browns is not allowed in my house for three seasons. <laughs> but, but, but I, I, no, no, we're not getting into that. You knew what the Browns were gonna do historically when you started <laughs> started watching the game. Say nothing new. <laughs> Set yourself up. You're not gonna ruin my day. <laughs> yeah, I, I know the feeling. Uh, uh, the Detroit. The Detroit Lions fans know the know that pain every single season. So you know. Oh my God! I was I was at the grocery store the other uh, about a week or so ago, and this guy stopped me. I had on Deion Sanders jersey. He's like, "Oh, that's that's the jersey," and I forgot. Oh, Deion Sanders, of course, best running back. It sounded like I knew what I was talking about, but I just regurgitated <laughs> something that my husband said just to make his day. <laughs> I just had a bunch of jerseys because my husband likes sports, and all right, I'll, I'll do sports with you on Sundays. But that oh, is great. My, um, my 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 relationship with my wife is a complete opposite. It's a complete role reversal. She's a huge Packers fan. <laughs> I love the Packers. I like Packers. And I and I and I and I love to cook dinner. So early on in our relationship, especially during football season, I'm upstairs cooking and she's downstairs watching football and I, and I hear her screaming, oh, come on, like this, you know? 
And I looked down at her and I said, you don't appreciate me. <laughs> that is hilarious. The stereotypes are only funny because they're true. Yep. <laughs> but see, going back to your statement about 100, 100, that's uh-huh. exactly what we're talking about. You know, if she likes football, I don't have a problem cooking dinner so she can watch football. We can have dinner one later. You know, it's right. it's all good. Yeah. Uh, I, I The role reversal is hilarious. Um, many years years back, before, way before I met my husband, I was dating this guy. We've been together for six years. Another long-term relationship that led to nowhere, but waste of time. I learned a lot, though. Um, I had a little house um, on the Upper West Side of Cleveland, and... My, I had, a, I had a two and a half car garage. The guy that I bought the house from used to work on cars. So he had, you know, he had all of the, uh, the outlets, little tables and stuff. So it was, it was a really cool workshop. Mm-hmm. And uh, my retail therapy starts at Home Depot. I'm, I love power tools. Oh, am genie. And right. uh, I like carpentry and I've done plumbing and I've put in toilets and I've laid tile and and grew flooring and I built porches and I like to work with my hands I don't do that physical stuff anymore because of my injuries and I've broken down but to be able to prove to yes I did it I fixed it so uh and he was a certified chef and so you know when we met um at our job he was a jail guard and I was a cop at the time and uh so he wasn't you know a professional chef but that was his you know that was what he loved to do and so his domain was the kitchen and mine was the, the, was the shed. So when I wound up selling my house and I, uh, for a whole year, I had garage sales and stuff like that, getting rid of all the stuff. So uh, these guys come in and they're, all the tools are hanging around. And he's like, hey, man, you know, how much for this drill? And he's like, mm-mm, them hers, you got to. <laughs> <laughs> but the blender is his, you know, the, the food server. That's <laughs> So, and then even too with my husband, my husband, um, my late husband, I, my husband was, you know, was a big man. He was, he was uh, six foot two, 200. He was a boxing coach too. So, you know, muscle and to look at him like, oh my God. And, you know, we'd be out somewhere and, and uh, people would say, oh man, I don't, don't want to say nothing to her. I watch out for you. He was like, mm, you got to worry about me. You got to worry about my wife. So when I uh, the last time I uh, when I was in Cleveland, I had to take the shooting test uh, to quali- to requalify with my weapon, even as a retiree. You're supposed to go down there every year, but this is eight years in. I'm, I'm retired. I'm about to get and I just went down. I think I went to get my uh, my ID updated, so I went ahead and and did the shoot test um, to qualify with my weapon. And after eight years, the girl still got it. Still hit the bottle in the middle. And so I brought the, the target home and for about six months up until we moved out of there, my husband would put it directly across from the front door. So when you open the door, you see this target with all these bulls in it and it had a hundred percent, you know, the teacher wrote a hundred percent and everybody walking in, Hey, what is it? That's my wife. I told you, don't worry about me. <laughs> Well, what? Right, I'm the I'm the one that are and, and my husband be like, no, everybody just need to talk for the police show up and kill me because I'm the black man here. <laughs> Knowing your role, man. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Um. Okay, so I put a pin in when you know it's time to change in in your wife. So, 
I told you I was in most level marketing for a while and legal shields, you know, it's legal services. And I was a cop for a long time. My neighborhood was really passionate about helping people get to the, the help that they need. And so I would, you know, drive all over. To, I've been coast to coast with this company. And so I was, I started doing presentations and I've been telling it, you know, my, you know, my executive director, like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of getting a little, you know, burned out. So when I knew it was time to leave. Um, I started going off on people for, <laughs> you brought me over here. You told me all these issues. I gave you perfect examples of either personal ish, uh, personal, you know, situations. I've always been very transparent about my life, personal mm-hmm. situations I've been through or someone close to me that we were able to help with. And then I offer you this plan is $20, $25 a month. And you go, let me pray on it. You've been praying. That's why I'm here. So <laughs> that's how I wound up here. What you got to pray for? Let me talk to my husband. You got to talk to your husband about $25. You got, I bet you got $100,000 worth of shoes in your closet. You only wore one time. You paid $50 for that pair. They hurt your feet. You didn't even dance. And they've been back there. Did you ask your husband? Did you ask your husband about that ugly cow print uh, stuff you got in your kitchen? That No, you didn't. So I was the last straw when I knew it was time for me to just, I was doing a presentation in a senior community and I had about 40 or more 60 or olders in, the, in this room. So you know, their, their attention span is short, so get the information out there. And this was, this was a, uh, a presentation about estate planning, and which is included, so, but that was, that, was what, um, that was the topic that they needed to hear most about. I touched on a couple of other things. Presentation about 10 or 15 minutes. Now, like I said, room full of 40 people. There was this lady sitting right here to my right. And she had to be about 80. She didn't have to say a word. You could have just let it wash over the crowd. She said, "Mm, well, let me pray on it. I said, well, the God I serve is everywhere. Everybody, can you bow your heads? Father, in the name of Jesus, please let this woman know she's been and I've been praying too, and here I am. There you go. Now, what'd he say? <laughs> Zero policy sold. That was my last. <laughs> <laughs> it was time to go. Uh, and then I think maybe a week later, I get a call from someone I had sat down with. He had been absolutely trashed by East Cleveland police for nothing. And his mama referred to him, referred me to him. His part, the plan he wanted cost seventeen dollars a month, and it was a ten dollar enrollment for twenty seven bucks, and you have an attorney by your side to, to uh, you know, deal with this court situation. He had he had no kids. He lived in a small apartment. He had two full time jobs. We went through all this, and I pull out an app. I'm like, okay, well, if, I said, are you serious? <laughs> you can't borrow twenty seven dollars from your mama. You ain't, you ain't got no kids. You got two jobs. What is you doing? With your... Two weeks later, he calls me on a Saturday afternoon. I got this letter from ECPD and blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, so you ready to get your legal plan and I'll go, hand, I'll go to court with you hand in hand and, you know, I'm going to march down the court. Uh, I, so you just called me on a Saturday afternoon to screw up my Saturday. What? I was, yep. <laughs> no, you ain't need help. You want a friend. Call a friend. I'm not your friend. I'm an agent. So, so yeah, it was right. It was uh. <laughs> So, yeah, knowing when it's time to move, that mm-hmm. you need to write that down as a class. Yep, yeah. 
Exactly. So. <laughs> that's that's when I knew it was the right time to move on because, you know, and, and just that point, I, one of the questions I think you asked is when did I know it was the right time to make a change? Uh-huh. And, and and that's exactly it. This last year, I, I, I've been working with a client and you'll appreciate this. He was mm-hmm. a uh, chief of police mm. for quite a while retired from one priest one 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 municipality was hired into another municipality was as a chief of police mm. so he could collect a pension from one municipality and collect another pension from the other municipal municipality mm-hmm. say so that five times make, fast yeah exactly right <laughs> so he can essentially have a six-figure in, fixed income mm-hmm. okay and along the way i helped him save up like a million dollars for his retirement nest egg. Beautiful. And so when it came time for him to roll that retirement plan into an IRA, he had to think about it. So I'm like, okay. I was rather perturbed that a client that I've been working with for like 15 years get to the point where he can retire comfortably safely knowing that he's never going to have any kind of financial worry for the rest of his, for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Think about whether or not he wanted to roll his retirement plan over with me. I, my heart dropped when you said he had to think about it. I'm like, I, he just been trusting you all this time with his money, but okay. Mm-hmm. That was the straw. Mm-hmm. That's when I decided, you know what? I don't really need to worry anxiously over whether or not I'm going to get paid on this rollover. Mm-hmm. This is, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with that. It's, right. it's, it's the administrative aspect of it. And it's the fact that it, you know, I have to sell myself over and over and over again to a client that I have proven to help over a decade. Right. That's oh. the part of them just giving up and not, not, not get, not really worrying about anymore because i know that i'm capable of helping more than just their bank helping with more than just their bank account right um and that's that's hard i you know and i i feel i feel your pain in that um when you spent time and proving yourself and and then all of a sudden you know why why wouldn't you trust me Uh, again conversation with the same sister that told me I was stupid for talking to a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm 49 years old and my sister is six and a half years, my elder. And we had this conversation before I uh, moved out of Ohio at the end of 19. And, and this wasn't the first time we've had the situation and it suddenly came up with another uh, person in our family uh, that is a known liar just like why would you believe why would you innately believe what falls out of this person's mouth when you know that historically and so uh, in the course of the conversation I asked her I says well uh have I ever lied to you that's I've never lied to my sisters these are my families you know I've never lied to you I've never told you she said I don't know. I just ain't caught you yet. I said, I'm 47. What do you mean? Yet. When is it? You haven't caught me. I must be really, really, really good. Well, just because I ain't caught you don't mean I should just believe what you say. I said, wow. And that, <laughs> that broke, I said, what? 
Okay, what I do not understand, okay, I can see if there had been some issues that may make you take a moment and pause to question in the past. Mm -hmm. But there is in, in 40 plus years, there has been zero, if it's like you, 15 years you've been working with this person and zero reason not to trust. Um, but why is it your initial response to not trust me? If for historically I've been trustworthy, why would not your initial thought to be, well, okay, that sounds good. Yeah, I might check behind it, but it sounds like, you know, yeah, right, that sounds great. Okay, why not that automatic, you know, connection? And then maybe you might, well, okay, well, let me just make sure, because that's a million dollars, that's a, that's a big deal. You know, and even with my sister, it wasn't monetary, but your initial response is mistrust when there's absolutely no evidence to support that. That baffled my mind. So yeah, and, and it, it, it does, it goes to what you said from the beginning, their mindset and why you, that mistrust is, is so deeply ingrained in a mindset. It has absolutely nothing to do with who Chet Spence is or who Nicole Goodman is. But that is so difficult for us to wrap our head around that there's nothing you could have done. It's not about yeah. you. It's not you. It's, it really is them. It's not, it's not you. It's them. No, it's them. It is them. And to that point, um, I'm glad you mentioned that because I have a client who's 62 years old. Mm -hmm. She has a PhD. She lives in California. Okay. She's black. She's been a teacher for 20 some, 30 some years. She's only, she only received her PhD and she only taught because that's what her father wanted her to do. He was so excited. She told me he was so excited when she got her PhD that although he was walking in a walker, he made sure to walk in that walker from the parking lot all the way across the road to the Coliseum where she was going to be getting her degree. Cause he was like 80 some years old when she got it. And he was so proud of her for getting it. Mm -hmm. He was going to make sure that he walked in on his own power into that building to watch Woo! her walk. Go on King. Okay. <laughs> so she told, I, she tells me this to tell me that she didn't have one interest or passion in teaching or any of that whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So she spent the greater part of 30 years of her life doing something only for her father. Now that she's retired, she has no clue, idea whatsoever what she wants to do with her life. Right. But in the process of that, she tells me that, you know, here she is in this school and she's like one of the few black teachers there. Mm -hmm. And she feels like she has to represent the entire black culture every single day as she walks in. That is that is the burden of every professional black person in every I promise you, that is and a real so, burden. And, 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 and when I go back to, when I go back to my history and my childhood and how I was raised, I have a very difficult time understanding why it is that every successful black person feels they have to carry the weight of the entire culture on their back. Yeah. yeah um, is that a question? Cause I can help you. <laughs> I hope you can. Because that, that is a question, but that's also, that's again, mindset. Mm -hmm. 
you know, it's mindset. I understand. I, 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 I can understand from a head, from in my head, mm-hmm. the struggles and, and, and so forth that the black culture have, have, have gone through mm-hmm. at the same time. I can also respect the black culture because of the resilience of the stamina real talk of the of 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 the um persistence persistence thank you that's what i'm looking for that the black culture has the story i heard on the radio this last week that the that that the reparations bill has been in and has been in the house and in congress for 30 freaking years Mm-hmm. Yep. So when all of the when I hear all of these stories, I can understand it head wise. Mm-hmm. I can't understand it heart wise because to me, I'm just a single white guy. If I had to if I had to feel the entire pressure of the entire white race on my back for what I did to everybody else, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to get out of bed in the morning. Congratulations. Therein lies your privilege. You know, that's a privilege that you are at, you were born with. And that's what we talk about. You know, that's what we mean by white privilege. Mm-hmm. You know, um, as I, uh, like I said, you are, you're the first, you're the first non-black person, period, that I've interviewed on my show. And um, I did so, I, I, I was, you know, very open to our connection and, and this interview because I feel your heart. You know, I, I feel who you are. And uh, I'm, I'm not racially biased at all. I hate using the word racism because race, the word racism is a white word. It's, it, is, it is a word that was created within the white community to, to keep us separated. So um, I'm, I'm not racially biased whatsoever. It's like, which half do I hate, my white half or my black half? Uh, <laughs> I had somebody tell me that, uh, that they called me prejudice on LinkedIn. I'm like... All right, <laughs> which half? But I've also had, I've, I pulled the guy over um, back in, in my early days. He told me I pulled him over because he was black. I said, dude, <laughs> you just because I'm black. And I took my hat off. I said, sir, I'm black. He said, you ain't black. I said, well, you about to get this game. Thing. I pulled him over to help him out because he was going the wrong way on a one way. But they had just made that street a one way. So, yes, sir, could you, could you please just turn around and go around? Mm-hmm. I didn't get a chance as soon as I, excuse me, yes, I said, okay, well, you just talked yourself into a ticket, the very epitome of P.O.P. crime, pissing off the police. Okay, back to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is that pride factor that you talk about? Okay, and so, Karen, is wait. Pri- is it a pride or is that just protecting yourself from, is that is that a protection? Uh, both. People- I, would, I would say that it is a, as a bit. Have you ever seen the movie Django? No. Okay. Um, for your education purposes, you must watch this movie. And okay. um, it's a Quentin Tarantino movie. You're going to super enjoy it. There's two parts that I absolutely hate, and you'll know them when you see them. Um, that's, that's hard for me to watch, but uh, it is one of the most actual depictions of um, what happened to our community back in those days. So people talk about all lives matter. All right, when I see your neck in that thing, then I'll agree. But until then, so uh, in 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 the movie, um, Django was played by a phenomenal Jamie Fox, super talented mm-hmm. brother, mm-hmm. Um, and he was connect he connected with this white guy from Germany who 
absolutely abhorred slavery. Um, so, the, and, and, and I won't, you know, give out the story, but uh, he wound up connecting with Django and, you know, he took him on as a partner, which flipped Django out as a slave, tripped him out. So yeah, not just partners, but I'll actually pay you what? Okay, so and in their travels, he gave Django, you know, a horse. And so they're riding into this town and people are staring. And the white guy says, what is everybody staring at? Django says, because they ain't never seen a nigga on a nag. Black people didn't ride horses, they walked. Mm -hmm. um, and so they, they wound up at this, uh, at this plantation. Um, and they walked in, of course, everybody staring at the black dude. Well, the, the, house, the caretaker, the, the house nigga, okay, this is the house nigga, come out, it's the old Steve that does, you know, he'd been there seven generations and so forth. They walked out, oh, master, you back. Oh, master, I miss you like I, I miss the rock, I miss you, you know, all this. And then he turns and he sees this black man on the horse. He said, who is that nigga on that nag? Uh, and when the, the white guy, and just played by Leonardo DiCaprio, who said nigga more times than I ever have in my life in that one movie, uh, it was hilarious. Um, he introduced him to, he says, you know, this is him and this is him, and you two should hate each other. It, uh, because we were initially turned against each other on purpose, and, you know, at brain brought over here. If you were from this tribe and y'all all, all spoke a certain language, and y'all from that tribe, they would put these two together and separate them all so they couldn't talk, mm. okay? So they didn't understand each other what was going on, but if uh, I got some privilege and you didn't, we were initially taught to hate each other for it. And so, and that has been ingrained. So now when you get, uh, you know, people of color that make these transitions and they make these great strides, all the people that love you and the people that, that you know, actually look for and, and, and are connected to you, yeah, do it for us. Yeah, yeah, you the nigga on the nag now. Go ahead and ride all the horses and buy a stable. And so as, as the professional that got into this position, I'm, I'm looked at as the, the one that made it, and they're so proud, and now I gotta do great, because if I make a mistake and lose that position or do it wrong, whatever, um, it's going, it can't, it, and it very may, may well prevent anyone else of color from ever being hired to that position or escalating to that position in that company. Mm -hmm. So. That one person, um, you know, you, like I, I just saw an ad on, on LinkedIn the other day about the first black director female in, I think it's Memphis Police Department. Mm -hmm. And uh, as, as, you know, people of color in these high ranking positions, we're, we're all looking at you to be wonderful. If you screw up somebody, somebody up in that upper echelon said, all right, go ahead and hire a black person. Go ahead and put a black person in that position. But everybody is scrutinizing that person, every dotted I and cross T. And the simplest mistake, told you that nigga was gonna fuck up, to put it blunt. Mm -hmm. And so 
we are, we are, uh, you've heard, have you ever heard the phrase from a black person that we got to be twice as good to get half as far? Mm -hmm. Okay. And that is why. Because if she missed a uh, dot and an I or crossing a T, she can not only lose that position, but prevent for decades maybe from a person of color ever being hired again. It's like a woman president. She got one time to mess it up and no women nowhere ever. You see what I'm saying? So that is why there's so much pressure on the one black person in a high uh, position to be so successful because... It, you know, just like Barack making it to the presidency. All right, now the next per the next black person that tries it won't be so, oh my God, a black person. And Barack, you know, he did it gracefully. He, um, no disrespect, he had a beautiful family. He absolutely had to be that perfect first black family because if he hadn't, if he'd had barbecues on the White House lawn and tow up the whole backyard to make a basketball court for all the Negroes, I promise you, it would have been another 300 years before another black man gets in that position. And sad, sir, but absolutely true. So, the weight of the world is upon me right now. <laughs> so, but, and, and even when I came into the black, and when I came into the uh, police department, they had just, this was the, the civil service test that I took was the very first test given after they abolished affirmative action in Cleveland, Ohio. Mm. And so I was scrupulously uh, checked from one end to the other. Uh, I remember coming home from my, one of my little part-time jobs one day and seeing this, you know, white guy detective talking to my neighbors up and down the street. And yeah, called my jobs. They, I wouldn't be surprised if they checked my garbage to see what I had for lunch. And it was extremely scrutinous. And so all the way through the academy, through probation, throughout my entire career, I was looked at and made sure that every I was dotted and every T was crossed. And so... Now you know, brother. Um, uh, we had mentioned earlier the movie The Secret. Okay, The Secret by Rhonda Byrne. Um, I think it's absolutely imperative. As a matter of fact, it is uh, a recommended watch in my success culture packages and my book. Um, okay. How to get your own damn fish. Uh, I you know and, and I refer to it often, um, and you know I share it and you know often get tell people they need to see it. So I have a, my caretaker living here now, young white kid, he's 27 years old, you know, grew up in the streets and stuff like that. But, you know, milliseconds of personally trained genius. Just walk past, I'm talking about you in your face and behind your back. So uh, <laughs> um, I recommended this movie, we were talking about maybe a month and a half ago, and I says, you ever seen The Secret? He says, no, we're watching it right now. And so normally, you know, I'm a geek too. I, I, I believe the geeks of the world are going to take over. Don't make fun of a nerd. They're going to be your boss one day. So, <laughs> well, you know, I, Jeff Bezos is the richest man in the country right now. So yeah. there's a reason for it. I love it. I love being a geeky nerd. Um, and so, you know, we always connect. So we watch all these, we watch a lot of sci-fi and, you know, monster, I love that stuff. And anything that, that's really non-reality, wizards and, you know, vampires. And yeah, that's so, and we're usually chopping it up, you know, through it. And, you know, like five minutes into the movie, Gary says something. I said, mm, nope, I'm not talking to you at all. You need to focus and listen to every word. So he sat up and he watched intently. And by the time the movie was over... 
He was literally as red as I've ever seen a person, and he was shaking. He says, wow, really, really? Oh, my God, really? So um, I, I'm not going to really get a show away. It talks about the laws of attraction. But I, when I saw it, I had the same response, and then I started watching it again and again and again, and I've seen it over 150 times, and I, I tell people it is a how-to instructional movie, how to change your life. It's a one, two, three instruction. So if, you, if, if you're nervous about reaching out to someone like Chet uh, and asking for a help or finding out whether you need uh, coaching or whatever, I implore you to watch the movie and it'll tell you that yes, you absolutely should uh, connect with people like Chet and myself and, and uh, these mentors and, and coaches because that, that's how it works. That's how it, how it flows. And that is such, it's such a, you mentioned being an empowerment coach. It is such an empowering thing to find out your own power. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, give us, can you give us three tips on building and or running a successful business as a, as a relationship coach, a personal coach? I had to write, because I got love coach. You love coach all, this is a love doctor all over the place. So. <laughs> Well, I, I think the first successful tip is to tell as many people as you can. You know, just broadcast it to as many people as you can because you never know what's going to happen. Right. You know, I talk to people in the elevator about what I do. I talk to people when, um, you know, I, I had a serviceman over the other day for our internet setup. Mm -hmm. and I was telling him about, you know, coaching and we, we ended up having a great conversation. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it the, my my point is, is I'm not here to sell you on why you should talk to me. Right. I'm here to find out what it is you want, what's holding you back, and how can I help you? Right. That's really what my goal is. That's really how I approach my day. Right. Who is it that I need to talk to? Mm -hmm. Who is it that can help help get my word out to people of what I'm doing? And who is it that I can help? Sometimes it's the same person. Sometimes it's not, right. you know, and it's my daily routine is I get up in the morning. I read, I read, I read different coaching books. I read different philosophy books, different people, people's different perception. I'm reading this book right now by a pastor in Hillsong church in New mm -hmm. Zealand called live, love, lead, mm -hmm. you know, um, how much time um, do you spend reading in the morning? About a good hour. Okay. I journal. I've got an entire book here full of just different notes and stuff that I take during the, you know, when something inspires me. Right. I've got, um, you know, a vision written. Now you, you mentioned a dream board. I got my vision of what I want walking in love to look like. Walking in love coaching is only one branch. Right. I also see down the road walking on love studios, like a podcast or like a YouTube channel or like whatever for, for that type of broadcast. I also see walking in love resources where I'm offering resources to single parent families because I think single parents have it worse, have it the worst. I can, I concur. Been there. They have to be mom, dad, breadwinner, childcare, psychologist, all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And don't leave the house at, at, at the same time. Like, you know, you gotta be seven places at once. Right. And you can't have a life of your own. What? What's that? A lot? Right, what? exactly. 
And then the other option I see is uh, the other the other branch I see is Walking in Love Ministries, where I'm actually siding with pastors or ministers that are having a difficult time trying to get to the next level. Right. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Um, and every every profession, every profession has a uh, OMG moment. Like, how do I make it beyond the next from pastors on to the left and right? So doesn't matter who you are and what position that you're in if you're you're stuck you're stuck if you need help ask it doesn't it, it doesn't matter what color you are it doesn't matter what 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 religion you are it doesn't matter what planet you're from we all have the same you know a heart is a heart weighs seven pounds it doesn't matter what body it fits it mm -hmm. weighs seven pounds mm-hmm and you know it's um, that's why that this with this platform here and and you know sharing our struggles. I say you find out that we're not that different. We're not that different at all. We all have the same life issues. The only thing different is the outer package. But like you said, you know, the heart weighs seven pounds. Male, female, black, white. Mm -hmm. yeah. How important? How important to you is journaling? Actually, um, not just. And I always tell people, okay, if you got this or whatever, don't talk on your phone. Don't type it in it write it down how how important is that do you feel it's it's, <clears throat> it's extremely important it's extremely important because you know if i if i can have a fleeting thought i can have a great thought mm -hmm. about you know i could have a thought about how to cure cancer and if i don't write it down it's gone <laughs> right because i'm in the next thing you know how many times have you experienced where you've had a great thought and you didn't write it down the next in the next day like what was that? Did I mention something about my head and the windshield whole thing? Yeah. I, ha I used to have a photographic memory. I still do. My camera's just got a crack in it. So right. those, those good thoughts go right out the hole. Capture them. Yeah. Capture uh, them. I, I, um, I actually need to get into a better habit of like using my, my uh, voice recorder on my phone because I get a lot of great ideas while I'm driving. And mm -hmm. I usually drive in total silence. If no one's in my car, I drive in total silence. Um, it, that motion just helps me kind of swim through what I've been through through the day. It's helped me clear my thoughts. Um, and I've always been that way. As, as like I said, as a street cop, I only spent about 5% of my career with a, uh, with a partner. So the rest of the time I was in the car alone, you know, 8, 9, 10, 12 hours a day. And then I was a real estate agent and legal shield and all this stuff. It's all the same, I still spent the majority of my life in the car. So being able to clear my mind and I would add, uh, have to, I would have all these wonderful thoughts and ideas. And by the time I get home, gone through the Swiss cheese, right out the Swiss cheese, the snowflakes is my, uh, my, my cousin and I have this running joke that my, my thoughts in my mind is like Swiss cheese and snowflakes. Um, you laughing at me. Every snowflake is different. Like a story, right? Every snowflake is different. Right. Uh, and the brain, uh, it, has, it has the consistency of some soft cheese, but I, uh, I was in this accident, and so my cheese has holes in it. Well, Swiss cheese has a solid. So if the snowflake, like a story, falls on something solid, had a photographic memory, I can tell you where we were, your intonation, what you were wearing, where we were standing, everything. Um, if it falls on through the hole, there's sometimes the holes don't go all the way through so thin. I'd be like, oh, well, it remind me a little bit about, oh, yeah, okay, I got up. I need just a little bit to fill the hole up. Mm -hmm. But there's them holes that go straight through and boop, 
it's gone. And I don't care if you took a picture and showed me a video. I don't remember it so well. <laughs> I'm all uh, laughing because that's what my that's what my wife says. I got a Swiss cheese brain. Sometimes you have to tell me a couple of times before I can remember exactly what it is you're talking about. Right, right. But you know, and that's because you're you're busy. Your thoughts are all the time. Right. But right. that's how you get stuff done. You want something done, give it to a busy person. Bingo. We may not even remember doing it because we're on autopilot with muscle memory and getting things done, but it'll get yeah. done. But yeah, that Swiss cheese is real. So I have to get in, better into the habit of recording in my phone while I'm driving so that I can get home and write these things down. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yep. I and don't it. edit. Don't edit. Because if you edit, you're thinking, you're overthinking it. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking of edit, I, I, I've had, I had one mentor, um, and we're going to, I'm going to ask you about mentors too, but don't let me forget. Mm. I, I had a mentor when I started writing my book that I wound up connecting with on um, Facebook. We had actually been playing words with friends together for a year, for over a year, and, you know, had never communicated. For, we wound up communicating because, uh, he was my biggest competition. Like most stuff I can, most people I could just throw a word in a red light, but you know, it's this guy, it's, it's my turn with this guy. I'll wait till I get where I'm going so I can sit and focus and pay attention because he gonna warm my butt. And so he wound up uh, texting me one day and say, you my biggest competition. I can never, you be killing me. And I was like, oh, really? So we wound up, you know, FaceTiming and talking. He's a published author, has several books out there. So <laughs> you, just, you really never know who you're building these relationships with. And, um, God, I, I got off on that for something, but, uh, the <laughs> mentorship. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, he wound up, I wound up talking to him more about, you know, how to write this, but I had never written a book. This book took me 11 years to get my autobiography done. Uh, mm -hmm. 80 pages took 11 years. And so when I finally finished the manuscript, I, I, Called him on FaceTime and he's on the East Coast and we're six hours apart. I think it was like three in the morning. He answered the phone. He was actually in his basement, you know, area working on some stuff. And I was like, I'm surprised you called. I was just, you know, really excited. And I, you know, finally got my first manuscript done. He said, All right, start thinking about your third book. I said, What? My third? I haven't even published my first, much less came up with the second. This one took 11 years. I'm going to write three. He said, Just start thinking about your third book. So this was October. And I went, I wrote it down, my third book. Okay. <laughs> and it was daunting because 11 years took to write 80 pages. Are you talking about two more books later? So from October to the end of December, um, I had a couple of situations. You know, I, I, was, I was really scorned by certain family members about writing this book that uh, my, my autobiography didn't mention nobody, but... Uh, there was there was just a lot of hardship through it and so it pissed me off so bad and I was talking to one of my aunts I'm like you think y'all mad about book one wait a book two she said book two I'm like yes book two and I started I, the chapter first chapters and then um, within this time I was reached I was uh, reached out to by the psychologist that asked me for the workbook now here I am five six months later and I'm I just got the workbook done and I'm part way into my third book and I had to call I had to call him back. I'm like, God damn it, you <laughs> you put all this work I wasn't trying. He said, just laugh. Yeah, just had to laugh at me. But he spoke prophetically, you know, and instead of saying, I can't do that, 
you know, going back to your I can'ts and I can'ts. I said, okay, I'm just going to write down three books. Just write it down. I just took a pen, mm-hmm. my three books. That's it. And mm-hmm. not putting any limitations on the universe, not putting any limitations on the divine or even my own capabilities, just left it at that. And, and did not put a simple I can't on it. And that is so important for us to realize, stop putting I can'ts on things. And here I am, not even six months, barely eight, seven months later, not even a year, and I'm on my third book. So how important mm-hmm. do you feel mentors, <laughs> uh, mentorships and keeping mentors is? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, very, very important. You know, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be doing this business had it not been for a very close mentor friend of mine that encouraged me to go forth in this. Wonderful. You know, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't have someone who who helped me understand that my my leadership skills and my leadership capabilities are such that I can do this. Wonderful. Mentors believe in you when you don't believe in yourself. And they if don't. you if you have enough, um, if you have enough positive people in your life, uh, they hopefully they will help you mm-hmm. to believe in that. Your screen is froze on a smiling face, so I can't see you talking, but your face is just like, yay, happy. So <laughs> at least at least it didn't freeze with your face looking funny. Oh, <laughs> well, good. Thanks. Yes. Um, so in in marketing, how do you how do you market your services, and how does COVID affect how you? market what you do well i think that's the beauty of it the way i market my services right now is really through uh, my website my blog facebook linkedin twitter all the social media sites and um uh, that's really where i market myself where i get my clients from I, i i find websites or i find places where people are asking for help Okay. So that's really where I get my clients from or find, find where people are asking for help and need help. I'm not, I'm not one trying to convince you that you need help. Right. You need to come to me and tell me you need help. Yeah. I, but, when, yeah. When I talked to you, you were just like, okay, well, great. Well, uh, you don't need help. Okay. <laughs> You're very amicable right. about it. I, I firmly believe, I firmly believe that people are sick and tired of being sold. Mm-hmm. They don't need to be told. Um, how'd your kids take it? How'd your, how'd your kids take your transition? How old are, how old are your kids now? Uh, my daughter is 14 and my son is 22. How they, how they like this change? And dad from oh grumpy God. old well, son, grumpy old money yeah. teacher to this love coach guy. Well, you know what? My daughter loves it because I'm home more often. I work out of my house. I'm here all day long. She has my attention whenever she needs it. So same with my wife. My wife is knows I'm in my office all day long and she gets my attention when she needs it and all that. So it's great. That's beautiful. I'm able to transition from working to transition. We don't need to work. None of us needs to work eight hours a day, nine hours a day, 10 hours a day. It's, it's ridiculous. (laughs) Even when I was working in a corporate world, I wasn't busy eight hours out of the day. 
Right. Maybe four. <laughs> right. Yeah. As a matter of fact, you started. You we had started talking about your daily routine, and I'm sorry, I have a horrible habit of putting pins and stuff, and and mm -hmm. and taking the conversation to the left, put my head through the windshield. So, <laughs> and every now and again, I will drop a, a note, and somebody has to pick it up for me. Uh, show me, yeah, you were on this note, Nicole. Um, you were talking about your daily routine, that mm -hmm. you, you don't do all of this work, and you said you do some reading. Please mm -hmm. continue after the reading part with your yeah, daily after, after the reading part, you know, I check my emails. I check to see who's who needs some help, and then I check to see um, my websites, and I write my blog, and I, I just do a lot of marketing for most of the day. I've got I've got the rocks in my calendar. There's 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 and I'm going to talk about rocks for a minute. Uh -huh. When I say rocks, when you look at your calendar and you look at the things that you got to do, if you start with the big stuff, uh -huh. the rest of the stuff takes care of itself. Uh -huh. So my big things in my calendar are is my journaling or my meditation or my reading, whatever it is that sparks me that in the in the morning in that moment, I actually call my morning routine uh, um, my blissful time. Hmm. So you have a label for like like you you yeah. have you have drawn out that personal time and mm -hmm. made it extremely important. Yeah, yeah. I call that bliss. I call that my blissful time because that's the time I spend either reading, journaling, um, meditating, whatever it is that, that 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 you know that comes to me at that moment that I feel that I need. Rather than pigeonholing me and I gotta, I've got to meditate. I gotta meditate. I gotta meditate. When you force yourself to meditate, it doesn't work. Right. When you force yourself to journal, it doesn't work. When it comes to you, that's when it works. I have this mantra of don't try. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you sound like you're there, there is no try there do or do not. Right. But when you try, you're trying to force something that doesn't fit. That right. isn't comfortable. That isn't, <clears throat> you know, that that's, that's, that's not working. It's like trying to, trying to, trying to put a square peg in a round hole. You right. can't do it. So I do what comes to me because that's what I need for that day whether it's meditating, journaling, reading, or all of the above. Right. And then in the afternoon, I'm studying. I've got, I've, I'm taking classes around coaching. So I'm studying that, or I'm reading information, or I'm, um, you know, I'm studying my mentors like Simon Sinek, or like Michael Neal, who wrote Serpa Coach, that type of thing. So a lot of my day is preparation, 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 preparation. The more I work on my craft, the more I know I'm going to be successful when I talk to people. Right. Um, and you just mentioned taking classes. So you've been uh, in this role as a coach for a little over a year and a half. You were in a leadership position for a very long time. As a fiduciary, mm -hmm. you're in charge, but yet you're here still taking classes on how to get better. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you're sharpening your axe. So how, how important is, is that to continue education? very important because things change mm -hmm. people change attitudes change you know ideas change right techniques change not, you know it, it's like in shawshank in the movie shawshank redemption either get busy living or get busy, get busy dying. dying i love if, that if you're not learning you're dying right? 
And, you know, contrary to popular opinion, if you're not doing nothing, nothing is not happening. It's not, something is happening, you're just not a part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so you've, you've had some really great successes, uh, which mm -hmm. is phenomenal. Tell me about some of the losses that you've dealt with and what you learned from them. What I learned from them is you can't help everybody. Mm. You can't help everybody. And, you, and, and, and and I can say that because I've worked with a client for about six months, um, very, very solitary truck driver on his own, you know, and when going through his belief system that he had and the, 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 the attitude that he carried and so forth, it was very hard for him to move the needle to something more positive in his life because he didn't want to. Mm. If you don't want to change, you're not going to change. Mm. And I, and that's, that's the most difficult thing for me to realize is because I want to be able to help everybody and coming from a sales background, I want to impress upon you why you should listen to me and do the things that I tell you to do, because I know it's in your best interest. Right. But when they don't, there's nothing I can do. And that's something that's, that's very difficult for me to learn is I have to let go of people that I can't help. That part. Um, and again, it's, it's throughout our entire conversation, um, it's so often hard for me to just sit there and continue listening to what you're saying because almost every moment that, you, that you're stating brings a picture to mind of something that I personally dealt with. And mm -hmm. uh, you had mentioned handling the big, big stuff first and then the little stuff fall in. Um, I was at a convention very, uh, a lot of years ago. They all run together now. And one of the instructors did this uh, example. And he had like this big, like a plastic tub, clear plastic tub. And he had a, another plastic tub of big rocks, about maybe the size of a coffee cup. And he had another tub mm -hmm. of little pebbles, you know, little pea pebbles. Mm -hmm. And he said, the little pea pebbles represent uh, all your little stuff, all your, your mama's issues and your kids' issues and all these little things that you just let get in the way. These, these little things this, that could wait or could, you know, be put in some type of other priority little things. And over here, the big rocks represent your big important things like your you know, what you were saying, you're, you're journaling, you're meditating, the things that are important to you. And so what we tend to do is uh, fill up our time and space with all this busy work of the little pebbles of everybody else's problems. So he took the little pebbles and he poured it into this big clear tub. He said, and then we try to get to mm -hmm. us and we try to fix our stuff. We work our own stuff. So he took the tub and he, took a, he grabbed one of these big rocks and he set it on top of the pebbles and... You know, it's almost full up. Then he take, you know, two. He got about two or three stones in, and that was all he could fit. And there was probably about five big stones left in the other bucket. And he says, "See, when you make this time for everybody else's little stuff, you don't have room for all your big stuff." So let's start over. He puts the big, takes the big rocks out. He pours the little pebbles back into their jar, and he's sitting back here with our empty vessel. And 
like you, you know, you put him, he, your blissful time is mega important to you, you put that first. So he took all his, these big stones and he put them, this, this is your diet, this is your meditating, this is your, uh, all these, you know, about eight big stones that are the things that are important to you. And then he took the jar of little stones and he poured it in and everything fit. Everything fit. And it was, it was such a visual, a beautiful visual of how we uh, prioritize and don't prioritize the things that are important. Yep. And that's why I, I, I love this interview with you, Chet, the love doctor. <laughs> because, yeah, um, you're, you're letting, you're a, another uh, validation and confirmation that my crazy ain't so crazy. And, you know, that, and that I've, that it's okay. You know what I'm saying? So if for nothing else, um, but to be able to reach and talk to someone like you, to get confirmation that you're okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> See what, and Nicole, I really do appreciate. And truly, when I say it's an honor and privilege to do this, because it's not very often we can get people of color together in the same space to talk about these issues and to yeah. come to an agreement that we both are the same. Yeah. It's very refreshing. Thank you so much. Um, and like I said, you know, we, in that era of, the, the whole phrase, what goes on in my house stays in my house, ruins futures. It's ruined mm -hmm. families. It, it ruins so much because mm -hmm. truly when, if we just sit down, if we, Let's just say if we can get uh, a thousand people to sit in a room and turn off the lights mm -hmm. and each one gets a chance to speak, you'll find out that everybody, every single person in that room has one way to identify with at least five or six other people that have gone through these things. And it didn't matter what color, what gender, what, you know, what they identify as, it didn't matter. So, uh, you know, we had mentioned, you know, about, we had talked before we started recording about, you know, Black Lives Matter and this, that, and the other. And I've had a lot of, you know, crazy, you know, all the crazy responses, all lives matter, blah, blah, blah. But the truth of it is it, that they don't, you know, in American society, they don't. But if we were able to, to uh, put a blanket over the sun and um, let us all live in the dark for a little while, and you know, be transparent and talk to each other about these life situations and struggles. Um, we could, mm, uh, we could definitely come together. Cause you know, uh, honestly, you snatch off this skin and you're a big red, ugly, scary thing. But we're mm -hmm. all the same red, ugly, scary thing mm -hmm. under this packaging. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Woo! Yep. Okay. I, 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 I so appreciate you and all of this and, and stuff that we're doing. Um, but yeah, so we're, your, your website and we're going to talk about you, um, you know, sharing your information more with the black community and, and with, you know, with my network and, and I'm, I'm super happy to promote who it is and uh, who you are and what you're, you're doing uh, in our community. So welcome to being an honorary brother, this is how I feel. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. And I have something very funny to tell you, too. One of our closest friends, um, 
uh, is also uh, our small group leader from our church. And he is, he and his family are from Nigeria. Okay. <laughs> and so I say that because when I go over to their house, you know, we're only like a mile from their house and where we live. Mm-hmm. So when, in the summertime, we get together to hang out and stuff like that. I usually go barefoot because, you know, why would I wear shoes? I'm just going from the house to the car to the house, right? Mm-hmm. You got to take them off when they get in their house anyway. So I don't put any on. Right. So I get, I show up at their house I'm like, well, you're not wearing shoes. No, why should I? He's like, what are you, you know, he, they, they, they lovingly and respectfully refer to me as the white African. <laughs> I'm laughing because my, my caretaker Skylar is, is as white as they come with blonde hair. He ain't never got on those shoes. <laughs> as a matter of fact, when he, the first day he came here, uh, he was, I had picked him up. He's coming here to, to, you know, see it around, make sure that he wanted to come and stay here. And my car broke down, and so I had to have it towed in. So he wound up stuck at my house for four days. Well, the very first night, he left his fly. Don't, you know, we don't walk in the house with shoes. That's the, at the Hawaiian culture. They take off their slippers. Slippers. When you walk in the house. And my dog shredded. Shredded. <laughs> <laughs> shoes the next morning i felt horrible now i'm all the way out in the country and <laughs> so i have no car it's a t- it's 10 minute drive much less walk and i'm like I, he had a big old feet size 13 i couldn't help him i felt so bad he said shoe schmooze and he walked around for the next one <laughs> and now he got goddamn uh, he got shoes and he doesn't wear he don't wear shoes <laughs> <laughs> and I called it, you my big country corn fair white boy. I love it. <laughs> Me, I, I do not have a wife. I, I was a lifeguard. I worked on hot concrete for eight years, and my feet are still baby soft. I keep my feet soft. I only wear shoes because my back is messed up and my knees are messed up. So impact, you know, on my, my floors of concrete slab, it hurts. But otherwise, I'll be barefoot too. That's my white half. My family used to pick on me so bad. You little white girl running around with no shoes. <laughs> Oh my God, you are hilarious. Okay, so you know, uh, Chad, if you could sit on a park bench with anyone, past or present, talk with them mm-hmm. for an hour, who would it be and why? These I, I ask everybody these questions. I've got some woo interesting responses. So excited. <laughs> Probably Leonardo da Vinci. Oh wow! See, okay. because I, I mean, my gosh, he's inventor scientist um oh you name it he did it mm-hmm. he's just amazing he you know the painting the sistine chapel developing you know everything he just created he, he created a flying machine for crying out loud way before the wright brothers even did i didn't know that yeah da vinci was a smart smart man when you say flying machine, did, could a person fit in it or just? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I wonder what happened to that design. <laughs> incredible. And just an incredible mind. Just an incredible mind. Um, I, you know, I, we bust a left on another, on another conversation. And I asked you about the successes. You've had some great success and some losses. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know how we found. We would skip right over the answer to that question. Some big losses and how did you? What did you learn from him? Well, we did cover that because what I mentioned is, um, you know, I can't, I I learned that I can't help everybody. Oh, yeah. Um, And I can't convince someone they need help. (laughs) 
you know, so what, when you work for someone for like six months and they haven't changed, it's really kind of like, okay, we, we just gotta, we just gotta cut, cut our ties here. <laughs> that, and I, I, I'm, what happens my mentally, I didn't look at that as a loss. And, and that's because you're so morally connected to the need to serve and help to you. That was a huge loss. In my, in my past career, you know, those people don't want help. You know, you called the police. Uh, all right, well, fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting that mentally I, I, I skipped right over that. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's so wonderful to see that you consider a person that you can't help, that needs help, but you can't help them, a personal loss. Mm-hmm. Wow. And because I, I can I can see, I I have the ability to see the the, the potential that they have, mm. and when I can't get them to realize it, it bothers me. Um, one of my mentors um, was talking about that that you know you can't help everyone, and and in the most level marketing, it's like you you got this emotion like I'll make them successful if it kills me. He said I almost died. Mm-hmm. You can, you can carry one person, maybe two, if you're a big dude, but you can't carry three on your back, mm-hmm. uh, but we want to, right? We want to. Right. Uh, that's how I wound up with the title of my book, <laughs> get your own damn fish. <laughs> that's right. So <laughs> I, uh, I am the first person of my siblings, um, to have a career, have a real job. And one of the very few people from my street, you know, growing up in the hood of Cleveland to make it out. And uh, I would still go back and, and uh, you know, visit and stuff. And as a matter of fact, like I said, it was in the, in the middle of the 5th District. And so I was assigned to the 5th District. So on patrol, I would, you know, go down my old street. And as a detective, I would always stop by. Um, my best friend who was killed when he was 14, I was 12. His mom still lives there. She's in her 80s now. And I'd sit down and help her, you know, with her will and stuff. And in the police department, you know, I had never made that much money. I went from $11,000 a year in the very next year uh, to $36,000 and then fifty and above. I never made that much money. So me, I want to go back, help everybody, you know, pay up your bills. So what you need? Uh, yeah, I got it. And there was hands out, hands out, hands out all the time. Mm-hmm. And when I retired from, when I wound up retiring, I retired on injuries at 37 years old. Mm. And so I wound up uh, in the multi-level marketing industry, marketing these legal plans. And that's this legal plan is absolutely so comprehensive. You know, I had been a member for 10 years and then I got, you know, the uh, presented with the business opportunity. And I felt like they had taken the borders off my badge and the ability to serve and protect. I could do this nationwide and in four provinces of Canada super cop Mm -hmm. and so I ran back to all those friends and family that I had helped and had to hand out and always needed help and I said look I found a way that we can all come in and make money together now here I am having gone through an entire career life of responsibility my biggest screw up was getting pregnant at 15 and I took responsibility got my first job at 16 and was successful from there on. And y'all was also willing to take, 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 gimme, gimme, 
when I was giving it out. But now mm -hmm. I have a situation where we can all work, work together and make money together. Mm -hmm. And the, the response was, well, when you succeed, I try. Well, when, and like, well, you were so willing to take what I make, but you're not willing to work from your own. Okay, from here, get your own damn fish. I ain't giving you shit. That's how Get Your Own Damn Fish came out. That's great. All right. That's, that's, that's great. That's perfect. Yeah, so, you know, just realizing that sometimes the people that came up with you ain't going nowhere with you, ain't going where you need right. to go, and that's hard to do. So to you, see you have you, a lot of people willing to put their hand out, but you don't have a lot of people willing to do the work. Ah, that was the caveat. I had to tell these people it's network marketing, not not work marketing. Okay, and I'm still I, I'm still an associate. I still have my website. I still get residual income. So for those of you who thought it was fake, ah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> the link's on the followblackdollars.org website. Text six three uh, six, text FBD for follow black dollars FBD to six three nine seven five, and you can hear more about it. <laughs> um, That's great. That's so, great. Fun question. Yes. What profession, other than financial services and the, the one that you're on now, you think would be fun to attempt? Oh, let's see. I've always wanted to own my own radio station. Right. Mm-hmm. Why? That would be a career I thought would always be interesting for me. But more recently, I just like to be the guru on the mountain that people climb up to see. <laughs> Oh, you want to take over the world too, Pinky? Me too. <laughs> we are going up to see the great Chet, Chet Oz. <laughs> I talked to a friend of mine yesterday. He's like, ah, what you doing? I said, I'm trying to take over the world, Pinky. He's like, that's a huge statement. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to leave my mark. Same thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that <laughs> you are a funny guy, Chet. <laughs> 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 uh, again, you can reach out to Chet Spence at walkinginlovecoach.com. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you can, it's, it's walking-in-love.net. Okay. And you're, or you can either, or you can go on Google and search walking and love coaching. That's easier. Yes. Yeah. Just, Uncle Google will tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> Yep. Um, what is the, what's your email address again? Email address is walkinginlovecoach at gmail.com. Awesome. Um, it's, it's, it, we could, we could probably just chit chat and chop about a little bit of some of everything. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up today. Is there anything in particular that you want to share with our listeners today? I'd like to leave with this, with, with this comment. All my life, the biggest thing that I've learned for people to have a, a successful, fulfilling life is three simple steps. Mm -hmm. Four simple steps. Four. Have a goal. Have a plan. Work the plan. Throw off discouragement. Mm-hmm. throw off discouragement and if you guys want some help with understanding how 
to throw off discouragement, you're going to have to reach out to chat. <laughs> Indeed. That, like you said, that the bad stuff is easier to believe. It is also the hardest to get rid of. And Indeed. we need to understand when we, when we need help and be okay with asking for help. And so um, with that, uh, we're going to get out of here. I want to make sure that you remember our daily affirmation every day in every way. I'm getting better and better. Write it down on a piece of paper. Uh, put it in a text reminder to show up on your calendar every day. And just remember that anybody, anybody, even you, no matter how young or old, can get better. You don't have to be 100% better tomorrow just 1% better than you were yesterday, and a year from now, you'll be 365% better. Indeed. Any movement forward is forward movement. Awesome. I love that. I'm going to write that one down, too. Thank you guys for, for coming on our show today. Thank you, Chet Spence, for spending this time with us and sharing your love with the world. And I appreciate what you are, who, uh, who you are, and what you do. And I look forward to all the wonderful things that you have to come it's definitely been a tremendous pleasure, Nicole. Thank you so much for the invitation. Absolutely. See you guys next time on our next show. Peace and love.